Thank you for downloading the Two Cities Church podcast, where we are pushing back darkness by spreading the good news of King Jesus. And now, here is this week's message from Pastor Jeff Struker. I do marriage conferences almost every year, and during the course of those marriage conferences, I ask people, what does the word love really mean? Some researchers asked children, four and eight years old, what does it mean by the word love? How would you describe love? And I came across these answers years ago, and honestly, I was blown away by how wise and how astute these children are. So Bobby said, love is what's in the room. Listen to how brilliant this boy is. Love is what's in the room at Christmas. If you stop opening gifts and listen. Chrissy said it this way. She said, when someone gives you most of their french fries, but doesn't ask you for any french fries in return, that's when you know that there's love. I love listening to these answers. Tommy said it this way. When a really old woman and a really old man still like spending time with each other, even though they know each other really well, you have love. But probably my favorite answer of all time comes from a four-year-old boy named Billy. And Billy said it this way. He said, when someone loves you, the way they say your name is different. Think about what this boy just said for a second. You can tell in the voice by the way that they say your name that there's something different. But then listen to what he says next. He says, you just know that your name is safe in their mouth. That's how you know somebody loves you. Well, today, Jesus calls a woman by name. And we don't have an audio recording of what this would have sounded like, but there is no question that that moment changed Mary Magdalene's life. And I want you to see from the Bible today, we're in John chapter 20, I want you to see what happens when Jesus calls you by name and just how profound, just how much this changes all of us. We've been studying for many months through the book of John. We've been trying to learn what does it look like to follow Jesus Monday through Saturday, not just on Sunday morning. What is it like to follow Jesus IRL, in real life? And only God, in his wisdom, could make this passage today line up on the weekend of Thanksgiving in the United States. Because death is the ultimate villain. And if there really is a resurrection, it would be the ultimate victory, meaning this is the ultimate reason to thank God. And what we get a chance to hear today is the moment when Jesus calls Mary Magdalene by name. But for all of us in this room that are children of God, this has happened to us just like it's happened to Mary. And he's done for us what he's done for Mary And it makes all the difference in the world. So the first thing that's going to happen to you when Jesus calls you by name is you're going to start to find power to face your fears. And I just want to be honest right now. Some of you in this room are going through some very real, very serious stuff. And you're scared. And you're trying to figure out, am I going to have what it takes 
to meet the challenges that are in front of me. If you're really struggling with some of the stuff that's going on in your life, you can resonate with or you can um, feel what Mary's going through. Because this moment, she goes to the tomb absolutely distraught, overwhelmed by grief, because she was at that cross just a couple of days ago and watched her Savior, the one she's put all of her hope in, watch them die. Kenny, can you drive that, drive, drop that down for me? Thank you. I'll just speak a lot louder. We're going to start reading this story from John chapter 20 today, and we're going to pick up in verse 11. Now, if you need the scriptures, they're going to be right there on the screens or they're right there in the mobile app. But this is the first moment that somebody recognizes, wait a second, I think he's back. We all know he's dead, but I think he's back. And I think he's back alive again. Listen to how the story begins for us. Early in the morning with the most unlikely of all people, this outcast and in her society, a person of no social standing, a woman shows up at the tomb and looking for the body of her dead rescuer. John chapter 20 starts in verse 11 this way. But Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she was crying, she stooped to look inside the tomb. And she saw two angels in white sitting there where Jesus' body had been lying. One at the head, the other at the feet. They said to her, woman, why are you crying? It's almost like these angels know something that Mary should know, but she doesn't understand right now. Woman, why are you crying? And here's her answer. Because they've taken away my Lord. She told them, and I don't know where they put him. Having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there. Now get this, look at what happens next. But she didn't know it was Jesus. Woman, Jesus said to her, why are you crying? And now she's going to have a conversation with him and not even recognize who she's talking to. Who is it that you're seeking? Supposing he was the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him, and I will take him away. Mary is so distraught that she doesn't even recognize who's standing right in front of her right now. Now, she's struggling with what she's just been through because Mary is dealing with some very real fears. I put all of my hopes, I put all of my dreams into this man who claimed to be God's son, and then I watched him. I was standing at the foot of the cross when he died, and I watched him die right in front of my eyes. And we don't really know what's going through Mary's mind. Why does she show back up? But she's standing there, and she's helpless. And some of you in this room may know what she feels like right now. Because maybe you've been holding on to your finances, but the recession has taken away everything, and now you're not faced with losing some money and dipping into your savings. Now you're at the edge of bankruptcy and you're really scared right now. Or maybe you've given everything that you've got to a relationship and it's not the second or the third time, but it's been a fourth or a fifth time that they've turned their backs, they've walked out the door, they've cheated on you and you've got nothing left to show for it and you're scared right now because the future looks bad. And you know what Mary feels like because she's standing there 
and she's crying and she's distraught. And then she looks inside the tomb. And I want you to notice, at no point up to here does the Bible say that Mary believes that Jesus is back. She's even having a question and a conversation with a guy in the garden who is the risen Savior, but she doesn't even, it doesn't even mentally compute with her, which means she didn't show up that morning expecting to see the tomb empty. Apparently, what she expected is, I'm going to have to go take care of this body. And now that the body's missing, hey, gardener, if you can tell me where the body is, I'll go get him, throw him over my shoulders, and take him and give him the proper burial that he deserves, which is unheard of in Mary's day. She's scared, she's confused, and she's distraught. When she shows up to this tomb on this Easter Sunday morning, and she starts to have a conversation with a guy who's right in front of her, but she doesn't recognize it's Jesus. And I can't help but wonder, like, Mary, why don't you recognize him? Is it because of the grief? Is it because of the fear? Like, what's going on that you're having a conversation with him and you don't even recognize who you're talking to? And I really believe that she's devastated by fear. I believe this moment, Mary is at her breaking point. And she doesn't know where to go, and she doesn't know where to turn next. In May of 1945, Cosmopolitan magazine printed a poem. Now, this will tell you how radically different that magazine is from 1945 to today. This poem was written by a very famous American and he wrote about the personification of fear. Now, this guy knows fear perhaps better than anybody in America when this poem was printed. I'm going to read to you a couple of stanzas, but see if you can figure out who wrote this poem. Here's what he said. He said, again, in awesome guise I rush, stupended through the ranks of war, turning to water with my gaze, hearts that before, that before no foe could awe. I spare no class, nor cult, nor creed. My house is endless throughout the year. I bow all heads, I break all hearts, all owe me homage. I am fear. That poem was written more than 20 years earlier by a very famous American general by the name of George S. Patton. He actually wrote the poem in April of 1920 when old blood and guts, that's what his men referred to him, when he was thinking about what it was like to go through the Great War and how everyone, everyone on the battlefield all over the planet was struggling with fear because the circumstances were bigger than they could handle. And honestly, it's the moment when the circumstances are out of your control that fear can really take over. And if you're not careful, you can become a slave to fear. Well, it's that moment that you need to reach out to someone who's bigger, much stronger than you, who can help you go through those circumstances. What I'm saying is what you sang just a second ago. You no longer have to be a slave to fear if he really is back. You see, if he really is back, if the king of the universe has called you by name, not only does he give you the power to deal with your fears, but listen, y'all, 
He gives you something much bigger to hold on to. He gives you hope. You see, fear is a very powerful human emotion. It will cause people to do some very stupid things. The only emotion that I know of that's bigger and stronger than fear is hope. I'll prove it to you. When people lose all hope, that's when they make some really, really bad decisions. When someone loses their last shred of hope, that's the moment that they start thinking about ending their own life because I got no, nothing to look forward to. I got no hope for the future. I heard a very wise man in this room once say that it's that moment where you've just lost all shred of hope and you've got nothing left to look forward to in the future that some people will start to think about suicide. He said, at that moment, you're half a step away from the best decision you will ever make in your life. It's reaching out and finding hope outside of yourself. Finding hope in someone that is much bigger and much stronger than you. Finding hope in a resurrected Savior. So here it is, the moment, y'all, where Mary realizes who she's talking to. And she goes from despair and fear to hope that stays with her for the rest of her life. I want you to just hear Imagine in your mind what Jesus' voice sounds like in John chapter 20, verse 16. She says to the gardener, where's the body? If you got the body, tell me. I'll get it. I'll take it. I'll take care of it. And at this moment, Jesus said to her, Mary, and turning around, she said in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. This is the moment that she recognized. Wait a second. The body's not missing. He's back. And like I said to you a second ago, we don't have an audio recording of what this sounds like, but I really, really wish we do because I think this is the moment that Bobby was describing for us. This is the moment where Jesus called her name and that word was so powerful that she'll never forget this moment. It will stick with her for the rest of her life because this is the moment that she recognizes He's back. And if he can come back from the grave, then anything is possible. See, she's distraught. She's devastated. She even has a conversation, with, which is mind-blowing, with Jesus and doesn't recognize who she's talking to until he calls her by name. And I kind of want to ask you in this room, how many of you imagine that when Jesus calls that name, there's love in that voice. Like, is it the sound of his voice that she recognizes? Is it her name that she recognizes? What is it that causes her to go from confused and distraught to this is him and he's back? And he's back in right in front of me. Whatever it is, she goes from the despair of grief and she turns and is square looking him in the eyes right now. And everything that she thought about life, about the afterlife, it all comes rushing in at this moment. I hope by now you're aware that we, I've been doing a podcast for more than a year now. I'm going to let you in on a secret. This podcast is not listed on any of the channels out there in the religious categories on purpose. It's my way of pushing back darkness. 
I'm trying to interview people that have an incredible story and they get you in the middle of the story and when you hear the story, you're on the edge of your seat and then at some point during the story, not all of the guests do this uh, and not all of them do it equally well, but at some point in the story, the conversation turns to King Jesus and honestly, the whole reason for this podcast is just to reach people who will never consider stepping into the doors of a church. Several months ago, I interviewed the head wrestling coach for Ohio State University who goes through a tragedy that is so unimaginable that if I tried to convince you what happened to his son, Teague, you would all sit there and say, absolutely not. Jeff, you're making that up. So I want you to hear from Tom Ryan's own mouth what happens in an instant to his perfectly normal, totally healthy little boy by the name of Teague. Listen to Coach Tom Ryan from this podcast with me. We got home from practice. Dinner was at the table. It was around, it was around dinner was on the table. It was about 6.30 at night. We had a nice family dinner at the time. My oldest son, Jordan, was 11. My second son, uh, Jake, was, uh, was eight. Teague was five and Mackenzie was three. We had a great dinner and Teague was chosen to take a shower first. He was healthy. He could do 10 pull-ups. Mm. He was incredibly fit. He was a five-year-old. He was a coach's son, right? So he was with me all the time in the room. And fitness was just part of our daily life, you know. Um, and he got up from the table, started running around. <clears throat> My wife was chasing him because he was in the shower first. And she picked him up. She was kind of hiding behind a wall, and he didn't know she was there. And as she ran by her, I watched this whole thing unfold. As he ran by her, she scooped him up in her arms. And I can tell you, Jeff, without, you know, I have total recall of the moment, mm -hmm. right? It's etched in, 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 in stone in my, in, my, in my mind. I can see it. And when she picked him up, his head was kind of hanging, but something hit me. It was an overwhelming sensation that hit me. I didn't know what it was at the yeah. time. I do now. But she carried him to the back of the house to shower. And within seconds, she was screaming that Teague wasn't breathing. So I ran to the back of the house and I grabbed Teague and I put him on the coffee table and I checked his pulse and my children were around the coffee table and I was pumping on his chest and breathing in his mouth. My wife called 911, took them about 14 minutes to get there. And uh, uh, they, they ran some tests and then threw him in the ambulance. My wife and I jumped in the ambulance. We followed the ambulance to the hospital about an hour and a half later, my kids stayed at the house. About an hour and a half later, the surgeon came out and said, Mr. and Mrs. Ryan, you know, we're sorry. My family had all gathered in the waiting room. You know, in the unthinkable, what do you mean? He was five, he was healthy. Kids don't just fall over. Uh, and it was, it, was, it, was the, it was the greatest grief that certainly I had ever felt. I don't even know the words to use to describe what Tom Ryan went through. Perfectly healthy, totally normal child, having a dinner meal together, gets up, gets ready to get a bath, and then goes limp in his mother's arms. Throughout the rest of this episode, he says he learns much later on after a DNA test on his body that he had a rush of enzymes to the heart, which basically caused him to have a massive heart attack and die in his mother's arms. This is the greatest grief I'm convinced 
any human being will ever experience on the planet. A parent going through the death of a child with no notice, no preparation, never saw this one coming. And what Tom describes next is how fundamentally this changed his life. Because now he's left with a question, a question that most people who have never thought about faith, never considered what happens after you die, have to struggle with. Where is my son right now? So I'm not going to leave it hanging right there. I want you to hear from Tom's own words what happens next. Check this out. But ultimately, right, ultimately, uh, I dug in on a simple concept. What's, what was something that I really didn't think much about. Like my kids, you know, when we pulled in the driveway that night without Teague, my, my children asked me where he was. Yeah. I'm back from the hospital and he's not with us. They were waiting at the house, right? So Jake says, where's T? And that was the question that, that kind of stuck with me through the grief. Where is he? Now, as a, I was 36 years old at the time, you would think leading people, I knew where he was. I didn't know where he was. I didn't know where he went. All I knew was he wasn't at the dinner table anymore. So my journey became, okay, where is he? Right? What, are the, what are the plausible options? Where could he be? The thing that got me through it more than anything was the deep, deep search for truth. Yeah. Right. It wasn't. It wasn't like okay, God's real. I'm gonna fall in your. I'm gonna fall in your lap because I'm soft and I need a soft, cushy landing. That, that, that wasn't it. That wasn't me. That's not my nature. I think my nature in general to live is to live in absolute truth. And I took a piece of paper and I lined it. And on the left side I wrote God, and the right side I wrote no God. And I began this, this journey of truth. I opened books, I read, I studied, I learned. And after, it was about six months. Um, and it was the pain that drove me. Right. You know, when my life was good, I was busy living. Oh, yeah. And my life, my team was doing great. I had a pool, I had air conditioning. You know, in my house, I was comfortable. The comfort of my life was not driving me to look at something I needed to find out, but it was only in the, in the pure emptiness of my life and the, and the pain in my life that I, that I, 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 I decided to learn and, and listen, the facts, the facts bounced off the page. Yeah. It became overwhelmingly clear to me that there's a God and I chose to follow him. And ultimately I dropped on my knees after about six months because the facts, not, 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 not mindless, thinking, but facts led me to believe that it's more plausible that there's a creator than in chance. And, you know, I dropped at my knees. I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. For all of those pagan morons out there that have told me, Jeff, that whole faith thing, that whole Jesus thing, it's just a crutch for weak people to lean on. I want, to, I want you to look Tom Ryan in the eyes and say that to his face. He's a personal national champion wrestler. He's coached national champion teams. And he's saying, I don't need comfort. I didn't do this looking for safety. I looked for truth. Either my son is gone and the grave is final and I'll never ever see him again or if there really is a chance at life after death, then there's no question there must be a God. And if there's a God, maybe I'll see my son again one day. Maybe what happened to Jesus will happen to Teague. 
Maybe it will happen to Tom Ryan. Maybe it will happen to Mary. Maybe it will happen to billions of other people who have felt the same way. If there is life after death, then this changes everything. Because now I've got a hope that is bigger than even the greatest challenges of life. The king of all fears. The one test that nobody can cheat on is the fear of death. And if Jesus has defeated death itself, all bets are off. And everything is different. And you got hope no matter what you're going through in life. You see, the moment that Jesus calls Mary by name, he also gives her a testimony. And he commands her, you go out and tell other people about this. All of us who have been called by Jesus, all of us who have been called personally by him, have that exact same testimony to tell. Mary, go rushing, Mary goes rushing back to tell the disciples, and at this point, she is the only one who recognizes he's alive. Others have started to realize, Peter and John, the body's missing. But Mary says, oh, he's not missing. He's back, and he's alive. Listen to verses 17 and 18. Don't cling to me, Jesus told her, since I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and tell them that I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And she told them what he said to her. There's been lots of books. There's been lots of sermons preached on this word cling here because the Bible word that you see on the screens, it's the idea of grabbing a hold of something and not letting go. I lost you once, Jesus. I'm not going to lose you again. I'm going to hang on to you this time. And we don't exactly understand what's going on. There's some urgency in her language. There's definitely a command from Jesus here. But apparently, the relationship has changed now, Mary. And it's not going to be like it was before the tomb with me and you. It's going to be different now because I'm different. And now that I'm different, this relationship is going to be different. I'm going back to the Father. By the way, y'all, read the end of the book. He's coming back again. And this time when he comes back again, no one's going to be confused. No one's going to miss who he is and his power, his glory, his authority. Mary grabs a hold of him, and she's hanging on to him, and Jesus gives her three words. Jesus says, go and tell. I want you to say those three words out loud. Go and tell. These are the exact same words that Jesus gives all the disciples. By the way, when the rest of the disciples see Jesus, they can't stop telling people about him. They tell so many people about them that it eventually gets them in trouble. And for most of them, it's going to cost them their life because they can't stop telling people he really is back. He's alive and he's back from the grave. And you and I will one day come back again. Mary can't stop telling. The disciples can't stop telling. And Jesus gives those same instructions to all of his followers for all time. That word testimony, it's a pretty weird word in our society. It really only gets used in the church. And the testimony is when you explain the good news, when you describe for people what happens when Jesus called you by name. 
You see, testimony is not telling your life story. There's a time and a place, don't get me wrong, for telling your life story. And your life story is important. Testimony is telling what Mary just said. Hey, he's back and I'm different. The disciples will stand among the crowds and even in front of their enemies and say, I can't stop telling you that he's back and I'm different because of it. And when you share your testimony, you're really telling people how you found the same hope, the same power that Mary found in that garden. In fact, as a church, we challenge you to use very specific language. When you share your testimony, use these words. And then Jesus changed me. You see, using these three words means I didn't do this. It wasn't a prayer. It's not because I gave money or went to church. No, the king of the universe reached down from heaven and called me by name, just like he did Mary. And when he called me by name, my problems, my difficulties, they didn't go away, but he showed up next to me and started walking with me through them. And that's the moment where he became king and I became the servant. And he calls the shots and I just do what he tells me to do. The moment that Jesus saved me. It's the difference between telling your life story and telling your testimony of the moment that Jesus saved you. I'm telling you, Jesus did for billions of people what he did for Mary in the garden, what he did for Coach Tom Ryan. And he can do the same thing for your friend, for that family member of yours who is so lost that they want absolutely nothing to do with Jesus. They want nothing to do with the church. They just want to be left alone until they get to the moment that Coach Ryan got to. You see, in my comfortable nice life. I don't have to worry about Jesus. I don't even need Jesus during those days. But when I'm driving home from the hospital and I don't have my son with me and I've got to look my children in the eyes and they're asking me, where is he right now, dad? And I don't have that answer. That's the moment that I need a hope that is much bigger than me. I need power that's much stronger than working out in the gym or being really smart, really competent. I need supernatural help, which set him on a path to eventually realize it's undeniable. If there is such a thing as life after death, then there has to be a God. And he falls on his knees and Jesus calls coach Tom Ryan by name, just like he touched me, like he touched others of us in this room. And I wanna challenge you. I want to challenge you, Christian, in the room. See the second thing on the screen? This is for you. If you're not careful, your problems can get really overwhelming, and you'll allow fear to take control. Do not become a slave to fear. The champion has defeated the grave, and he's also powerful enough to handle your fears. So will you just turn those problems? Will you turn those fears over to him this week and let him deal with them for you instead of trying to figure it out? Control your circumstances, handle it all on your own. This is a challenge for all of us, right? To let him have control and let him call the shots. We hope you enjoyed this message. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast and to stay in touch by joining our email list through the link in the show notes. Have a great week.